0: He is our Lord. He is our Savior. Praise His precious name. You have your Bibles this morning. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to look at verse 10 there, then we'll go to Romans and look at a passage there in Romans. As we're in a series that we're looking at spiritual gifts, gifts given to us by God. Everyone who has ever been saved, everyone who has received that free gift of salvation has also received a gift or gifts from God to be used within the local church to advance the body of Christ, to make the body of Christ complete. And if you are not exercising the spiritual gift that God has given you in this church, then the church suffers because of that. The body of Christ is not complete if you're not exercising the gift that God has given to you. Now we've looked at what we've referred to as the serving gifts. Those were gifts that uh, act as a serving role within the church, within the body of Christ. You see, when when the body of Christ functions as it should, there's four basic results that happen when the church is exercising the spiritual gifts. First of all, the people receive a blessing. We all as a church receive a blessing. The witness is dynamic. The witness of the church within the community is very dynamic because the people are doing what God has gifted them to do. Leaders are made apparent at that time and then also unity develops within the church. You see, these benefits result when the body truly functions as God designed it to. And, and the key is making uh, to making it function is the use of spiritual gifts given to each each member, as we looked at last week or week before last, as God sees fit. In other words, God knows you better than you know yourself. God gifts you with the spiritual gifts as he sees fit. In other words, he knows you and he knows the best gift for your life. Now, having looked at the serving gifts, we're now looking at the speaking gifts. You see, we're serving gifts or gifts geared for serving one another within the body of Christ. The speaking gift are geared to proclaiming the word of God. So a gift is this gift that we're going to look at this morning, actually both of them, but especially this first gift we want to look at this morning is confusing to most. And that's what we're going to begin with this morning. And that is the gift of discernment. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we actually see both gifts mentioned that we're going to talk about this morning, both discernment and prophecy. He says here, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy... And to another, the discerning of spirits. Let's start this morning with the discerning of the spirits because that probably is the most controversial of the two. You see, the word discernment here simply means to judge through, to see through to the truth, to truly evaluate Something That's what discernment simply means. It means that God has gifted those within the church to judge through things that are happening, to see through to the truth. In other words, if someone comes into the church, whether they're preaching or teaching or whatever, God has gifted those within the church with this gift of discernment to see through to the truth if what they're teaching, what they're preaching is actually truth or if it's false doctrine. You see, discernment of the spirits therefore is to simply evaluate The spirit of a person to see whether that person is acting in the Holy Spirit or some other spirits. First John chapter 4, verse 1 tells us, brethren, he says, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits. He's talking there about the spirits of individuals within the church. Don't believe every spirit. Look, there are those who come into the church, boy, you just think they're just, you know, really spiritual people. But you know, when you really get to know them, and you really begin to judge the things they're saying, the life they're living, the things that they're doing, you realize that that is not a spirit of God. That is a spirit of something else. So those within the church with the gift of discernment, they're able to see through the phonies that may come within the church to disrupt the church. The problem with many churches today is there's more evil spirits acting within the church than there are those acting of the Holy Spirit. Am I too Loud out there. I hear myself. Okay. All right. I just hear myself. Maybe it's God speaking, huh? You know, whatever. All right. You spirit people with the spirit of discernment know that that, you know, no. Let's not go there. Okay. I, I just getting an echo back up here. John, well, never mind. You know where the monitor uh, switch is for the W1? Okay. Never mind. Don't touch anything. Whew. Ain't no telling what will happen. Anyway, I'll fix that afterwards, okay? So the problem again is many churches, there's, there's more evil spirits acting than there is those out of the Holy Spirit. And this, because of this, God has placed those within the body, which is, with this special gift, and their responsibility is to be watchdogs, so to speak, over the body, and warn the church body, you know, if, if someone is, uh, acting out of a godless spirit, of an evil spirit, rather than the body of Christ. Now look, these people in most cases aren't evil people. Let's get that out of the way first. These are not evil people that we're speaking of here that may come into the church and and bring in false doctrine or cause dissension or cause division. They're not necessarily evil people, okay? And in most cases, you know, uh, they just possess a spirit of dissension. They just they, 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 they possess a spirit of division or discord. And they many times don't even realize that. But a person with the gift of discernment, they can see through. Again, what's the definition? To judge through, to see through to the truth, to truly evaluate something. So that's why God has placed those within the church body with this gift of discernment. Because there are many within our churches with a spirit of dissension or with a spirit of division, and they cause more trouble within the church than they bring unity within the church. When everyone is operating in their spiritual gift, listen to me, it's going to bring unity within the church. It's going to bring the church together, not separate or bring division. But listen, here's the thing. If a person is not bringing people together, creating unity They are dividing people and causing division. You're doing one of those two things, okay? People are either bringing people together and unifying, or they're dividing people and causing division. Okay, so we got to remember that. Look, that person can think of themselves as spiritual all day long, but God views them as non spiritual Now first we want to look how this was used in the early church. Because this gift was used in the early church different than what it's used today. So let's begin breaking this down and see in the early church. In the early church, again, it was used as a watchdog, the patrol or the guard of the church. Let's remember the New Testament had not been written, you know, uh during that time, you know, uh, of the of the early church there. And there was a lot of false prophets out there coming into the church. There was a lot of false teachers going from church to church and they were preaching false doctrine. And these watchdogs, these people with the gift of discernment, they would discern whether or not these teachers that were coming in, these Preachers that was coming in, these people bringing in, you know, different doctrines if they was of God or they was not. Again, they were able to see through to the truth. Now, let me give you four examples of discernment within the early church. Okay, turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Keep your Bibles open, don't shut them. Keep your tablets open, don't close it out. Keep your phone uh, on, don't close it out, okay? Boy, remember when we could just say, open your Bibles? Yeah, now we've got to name everything that can be open, don't we? All right. But turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Look at verse 3. In the church at Corinth, what we're going to see here, someone in the assembly. Now remember, the church at Corinth was a very carnal church. The church at Corinth, when you look at it uh, and, 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 you, and you study it, they were there was incest going on within the church, open incest. Nobody was saying anything about it. People were suing one another in the courts. You know, Paul got on to them about that. They had made it a drunken orgy out of the Lord's Supper. You know, and, you know, and, and so a lot of things were going on in the church at Corinth. Well, one event that we're going to see here, somebody in the assembly had actually gotten up and they had cursed Jesus and all agreed. Amen. Amen. Look what he says here. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brother, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3, I would not have you be ignorant. Understand, first of all, God wants us to understand spiritual gifts and what they're all about. That's why Paul said, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. You need to understand what they're for. You know that you were Gentiles carried away into these dumb idols even as you were led. Wherefore, I give you uh, to you understanding, now here's what he says, that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus a curse. In other words, Paul had gotten word that somebody called Jesus a curse. In other words, they got up in the assembly and they actually cursed Jesus. And Paul was telling them, look guys, no one bled by the Spirit of God is going to call Jesus a cursed. And, and, and that no man can say that Jesus is Lord, but of God. You see, Paul was in essence saying to them, guys, somebody, somebody within the congregation, somebody with the gift of discernment, someone who was spiritual could have, should have at least stood up and said, this is not God speaking. In other words, this is not the spirit of God. That's what they was in the early church for. Because there were so many false doctrines infiltrating the church. You know, no man, what's he saying? No one speaking by the Spirit of God would call Jesus accursed. Why did you allow that to go on? Now the second thing, turn to 1 Corinthians 14 here. Paul tells the church that someone should be discerning what was said here in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 29. Flip over there. Well, we'll look at verses 26 through 29 so we can get a full picture here. 1 Corinthians 14, 29, uh, beginning with verse 26. I'm sorry. How is it then, brethren? Again, Paul questions this church at Corinth so much, so many times because it was such a carnal church. How is it, brethren, when you come together, every one of you hath a song? Every one of you have a doctrine. Every one of you have a tongue. Every one of you have a revelation. Here's what was happening in the church at Corinth. Everybody wanted to stand up and give a word. Everyone wanted to stand up and say, this is from the Lord. Paul saying, how can everyone have a song, have a doctrine, have a tongue, have the revelation, have an interpretation? He says, let all things be done unto edifying. In other words, everything that happens within the congregation should be to edify the body. Okay? To bring the body together. He says, if any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or by the most three, and by uh, that by course, and let one interpret. And if there be no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church. In East Texas, it would say, keep your mouth shut. Okay? That's the East Texas translation, Bubba translation. He says, and let him speak to himself and God. Now, here's verse 29. Let the prophets speak two or three. What was happening in the church, those who felt they had the gift of prophecy, they would stand up and prophesy. Here's what the Lord is saying. Here's what the Lord is saying. He says, let the prophets only speak two, maybe three. And here's the kicker. And let others judge. He was talking there about those with the gift of discernment, that they were to judge if what these prophets were standing up speaking was speaking by leading of the Holy Spirit or some other spirit. So he said, if, if you get up prophesy only two or three, and let those with the gift of discernment discern if what they're saying is truth or false doctrine. Another example of Paul using the gift of discernment, turn turn to Acts 16. There was a woman, as Paul and Silas was walking the roads, proclaiming Jesus Christ, okay? There was a woman that was following them. And, you know, she would say, you know, what this woman was saying, it sounded like good PR for Paul and Silas, okay? You know, but Paul recognized this is not... Of the Holy Spirit. Paul recognized this was an evil spirit. Even though what she was saying was true. But he realized that it was coming from an evil spirit. Acts 16 verse 16. And it came to pass as we went to prayer. A certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination. Met us. Paul recognized right off the bat. This is not the Spirit of God, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. In other words, that's how she made her living, is by soothsaying. And the same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, now listen to what she was saying. These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show us the way to salvation. Now, doesn't that sound good? Sounds positive. And this she did many days, but Paul, but Paul, don't miss that. Being grieved, Paul realized something's not right here. Okay, something, Even though she's saying the right things, something's not right. Do you understand what Paul was saying there? In other words, Paul had this gift of discernment. And he said, well, she's saying the right things, but the spirit of which she is saying it doesn't line up. Let's read on. Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of her that same hour. You see, Paul discerned that even though what she was saying may be true, the spirit of which she was saying it was not of God. Again, that's how those with the gift of discernment were in the, old, uh, in the early days of the church. So though the word she spoke was good, the spirit she spoke was not. Look at Acts chapter 5, another example here. Peter exercised this gift recognizing Ananias and Sapphira at the selling of land. We all know that story, but let's take a look at it. Acts chapter 5, verse 3. But a certain man named Ananias. And Sapphira, his wife, they sold a possession, and they kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter, but Peter said, Ananias. Now, see that but Peter, just like with but Paul, something wasn't right. You understand? That's what but Peter means. That's what but Paul means. They, they discerned here something's not right here. They're saying they sold this piece of land for this amount of money, but something's not right, okay? Paul, uh, I mean, let's, yeah, I got to get back down to where I was. Okay, and, and uh, you know, his wife also being privy to it. And but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart? To lie to the Holy Ghost. Who did Ananias lie to? Peter? No. To the Holy Spirit of God. And to keep back a part of the land. Look at here. These are just a few of the ways the gift was used in the early church. And with this gift, Christians could identify truth from error, they could identify hypocrisy from genuineness. That's the way it was used in the early church. Okay? Now, in today's church, you know, how is this gift used today? Is this gift still in effect today? You see, false prophets, I believe, are still everywhere today. At this hour, okay, today, at this hour, there are people preaching within our churches that aren't preaching the truth of God. They're lacing the truth of God with what they're teaching but when you lace the truth of God with what you're teaching, and you're teaching false doctrine, it negates the truth of God. It's false doctrine. Okay, so false prophets, I believe, are still everywhere today. And I believe there's some people who are gifted with this gift of God, this gift of discernment, to unmask, if you please, these false prophets, and to protect the church from them. That those with the gift of discernment, They have the ability to identify false prophets. They have that ability given by God to identify false prophets. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians 11. Let's uh, read verses 13 through 14. And I want to clarify or explain some things to you on these verses this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 13. We're talking here about false prophets. We're talking here about false teachers. We're talking here about false preachers. We're talking here about people who are not tre- teaching the truth of God. He says, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers. Now look at that next word. If you have a King James, it uses the word transforming. If you have a different translation, it is going to probably use disguising or some other word like that. But he says, these are deceitful workers transforming. Now, the Greek word there used is the Greek word that means masquerading. We all know what masquerade means. It means you're doing something that's not really who you are. It also means disguising. Okay, so what Paul is saying, you know these type of people they're deceitful workers they're masquerading now again, where that word uh, was used also is back in those days I'm talking about back in the early days of the church, they had theater like what we do, but they didn't have the costumes like what we do, so what they would do, one person may pay two or three parts in this uh you know show they were putting on but they would have a mask on a stick and they would hold that mask up and be this character then they would put that mask down and they would grab another mask and they would masquerade as that person and that's what this greek word means here that he's using here they were masquerading they were disguising themselves as teachers of god but look at this and, and into apostles of Christ. In other words, they changed their outward appearance. Okay, look at verse fourteen. And no marvel, for Satan himself is masquerading, or can masquerade. Okay, again, the word transform. Okay, into an angel of light. That's what the lady Fowler and. Uh, Peter, and then we're doing what? She is transforming herself into an angel of light, even though she still had a bad, evil spirit. Therefore, it is no great thing as if his ma- uh, ministers also be transformed or masquerade as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. So, you know, I mean, we're, we're clear here that there are those within the churches today who are masquerading as ministers of God. They are putting on a disguise as ministers of God. But the words they're teaching do not come from God's holy word. They've got their own agenda. These are the phonies. Now, let's compare that to Romans 12. Turn over to Romans chapter 12. I want to, I want to show you this, same, uh, this Greek word, uh, another Greek word for transform. Okay? I just want to do a comparison here real quickly. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Because we're going to see the word in the King James used again, transformed. Okay? But it's a different Greek word. If you've got a strong, go look this up. It's a different Greek word used here in Romans chapter 12. He says this, and be not conformed to this world. He's talking here to the Christian people. He's talking here to those of us who know Christ as our personal Savior. He says, be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed. Now, we've seen the word up there in 2 Corinthians transformed to mean masquerade or disguise. This is a different Greek word here used in Romans chapter 12. It is the Greek word metamorpho, metamorpho. Anybody know where we get our word? What word we get for metamorpho? metamorphosis is metamorphosis when something goes through a metamorphosis like a butterfly and a caterpillar do are they masquerading they actually become something else they're not disguising themselves they actually come or become something else and that's what paul is saying here at the church at rome you know those of us who know christ we're not just masquerading we're metamorphosing into Little Christ. So it's a different Greek word here. Again, this is where we get our word metamorphosis. And how do we metamorphose into people like Christ? By the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So these who are changed, these are those of us who are changed from the inside out, not simply masquerading or disguising themselves as ministers of Christ. Those with the gift of discernment, they're able to expose these spiritual phonies for what they are and protect the church from their false doctrine. A couple of other things here for you. They're able to spot carnality in the life of individuals. In other words, just even regular members within the church who portray themselves as something very spiritual, those with the gift of discernment can see right through them. You may fool some. You may fool those who don't have the gift of discernment, but those with the gift of discernment, they can see through your phoniness. The next thing is they're able to identify one within, uh, within whom the true spirit of God is working. They're able to see that. They're also able to, to identify truth from error. Truth from error in the scripture and right and wrong between brethren. Now I'm going to touch on something here that probably many aren't going to like. But that's okay. You've got to love me. okay? The Bible says you've got to love me here. But I, And the reason many are not going to like this is because you say, that is not right. No one should judge me. Okay? But let, let, let's turn over here to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Because there's another way that those within the church with the gift of discernment should be used, but are not being used today. Okay? When you have something against another Christian, now I'm going to to read this out of the New Century, okay? How can you bring yourself to go before judges who are not right with God? Why do you, now look at this. Uh, Yeah, I underlined it up here for you. Why do you not let God's people decide who is right and who is wrong? Don't miss that. In the church... When a brother or two brothers or brother and sister, two sisters or whatever, have a problem. You know, Paul is saying, why do you take it to court? Aren't there those within the church with the gift of discernment that you could go before and let them decide who's right or wrong? Boy, you've never heard of nobody doing that, have you? Let's read on. Surely you know that God's people will judge the world. Now he's talking about during the millennial reign of Christ. So if you are to judge the world, are you not able to judge small cases as well? You know that in the future we'll judge angels, so surely we can judge the ordinary things of this life. If you have ordinary cases that must be judged, are you going to appoint people as judges who mean nothing to the church? He's talking there about the outside people, the, the going before magistrate. I say to your shame, I don't miss this, surely, surely there is someone among you wise enough to judge the complaint between believers. Again, who's he making reference to? Those with the gift of discernment. If you have a problem with another brother or sister in Christ, you know, you should get with those with the gift of discernment, not take it to court. You know, not, not, not let some outside, you know, person who is lost as a goose judge who's right or wrong. Paul says, surely there's someone among you within the church that's wise enough to judge this complaint and make the determination who's right and who's wrong. You know what the problem with that? The one they rule who is wrong, they're not going to like that, are they? You know what they're going to do? They're going to take their ball and go home. You know, they're going to take their checkbook and leave the church is what they're going to do. So let's read on. But now one believer goes to court. John, flip the page there, son. One believer goes to court against another believer. And you do this in front of unbelievers. You're getting his picture here? You're not taking care of it in-house the way God designed it to be with these people with discernment. But you're going to an outside court in front of unbelievers. Okay? Verse 7. The fact that you have lawsuits against one another shows you're already defeated. Why not let yourselves be wrong? wrong? Why not let yourselves be cheated? But you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do this to other believers. Again, Paul is making reference here that, guys, within the church, and I mean, this is the way it was done during the early church, and I think it should still be done within the church today, that you don't take your stuff outside. It's all done inside. And two believers, if they have a problem, they should come to the leadership of the church. And by the way, the leadership of the church should possess, you know, the gift of discernment. If they don't, they should know there are people within the church that do have the gift of discernment. And if two brethren, two and, if that's a, a right word too, you know, should be willing to come to the leadership of the church and meet with them and those with the gift of discernment, and let them decide and then abide by the rule, there would be a whole lot less problems within our churches today. Hmm, but how many would do that? How many would do that? And then live by the rule that was, or the ruling, should I say, of what was decided within that meeting. Look, three reasons why Christians should not take their disagreements to a secular court. First of all, If the judge and the jury are not Christians, they're unlikely to be sensitive to our Christian values. They don't know what the Word of God teaches. They don't know about Matthew chapter 18. If you have fault with a brother and, you know, go to him and, and try to talk it out among yourselves. And if he hears you, then you've gained a brother. They don't know that it goes on to say if they don't hear you, take two or three witnesses with you. And if they still don't hear you, take it before the church and kick them out if they don't abide by the church's ruling. Really. They don't understand that. And the the next thing is the basis for going to church uh, before a judge. Don't miss this. The basis for going to court is often revenge. Why do you want to take someone to court? Because I want revenge. They wronged me. I'm going to seek revenge. That's why I go to court. And this should never be a Christian's motive. Never should a Christian's motive be revenge. And then the third thing is lawsuits between believers make the church look bad. Make the church look bad. I mean, you, you just think about this for a moment. If two people within the church, you know, have a suit and they go before a court and the judge, you know, I mean, we're in Lufkin here, okay? Judges know, you know a lot of people and a lot of people know judges. And, you know, if that judge says, boy, these two people go to church together. And they can't handle their little disagreements. Okay? Look, that creates a problem because it puts a bad outlook on the church. It puts a bad outlook on the church. Because this procedure for handling disagreements between believers is not practiced, even the smallest disagreements between believers many times becomes big problems within the church. However, if we were to come before those with the gift of discernment, allow them to hear our complaints, okay, let them judge by the leading of the Holy Spirit, and then abide by their ruling, trust me, there would be far fewer problems within the church. There would be far for your problem. Still today, those with the gift are to be watchmen of the church and, and, and also should resolve differences between believers. But let me throw this in. Let me throw this in. This gift can easily, easily deteriorate into a critical, proud condemnation and degenerate into a judgmental spirit when it's operated in the flesh. Don't miss that. The person with this gift of discernment has got to make sure it's being operated in the spirit. Because if it's being operated in the flesh, in other words, they're letting their flesh override the spirit, they become critical of people. And you're not using it the way God designed it to be used. Because of the complexity of this gift, many pass over this teaching, you know, because. We tend to avoid those things we don't understand, don't we? You know why so many people won't study the book of Revelation? Because they say, I can't understand it anyway. Okay? Let's look at prophecy real quick. We've got time to do prophecy. That's why I put them both together. Turn to Romans twelve six. Of course, we've done seen it in 1 Corinthians 12, but I want you to see it in Romans twelve six here. Romans 12 and 6. If God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given to you. So let's look at prophecy here. You know, there, there's a big debate today whether prophecy, the gift of prophecy still exists. Now those who believe that 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 8 talks about when that which is perfect is come, then prophecy will no longer be needed for those who believe that that which is perfect okay is either the bible or the holy spirit then they would say prophecy is no longer needed because 1 corinthians you know 13:8 paul said when that which is perfect is come prophecy will no longer be needed so if you believe that the Bible or the Holy Spirit, is that which is perfect, Paul spoke of, then yes, you could say prophecy is no longer needed. However, I disagree as I view that which is perfect to be the eternal state. Therefore, if that which is perfect is the eternal state, then prophecy is still needed as long as there are people here on this earth in physical bodies. So let's break this down. The word prophecy here simply means to speak before. Look, what I am doing this morning am speaking before you. So in essence, I am prophesying to you this morning. See, people, people want to look at it, well, prophecy means you're going to tell the future. No, 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 no. Back in the Old Testament, yes. But the word simply means to speak before and it doesn't mean to speak before in terms of time it means speak before in terms of an audience like I am doing to you this morning it's no longer regulatory rather it's communicative so in the old testament the prophets ser- of uh, the pro- uh, prophecy served three purposes prediction of things to come proclaiming god's truths speaking the words of god in the new testament Prophecy served the same three things, predicting things to come, proclaiming of God's truths, speaking of God's word. I got scripture there. You can go look this up. Now, today, though, in the present, what prophecy simply means is to proclaim the truths of God to a lost and a dying world. You see, now we have the written word of God. So to prophesy today is simply to proclaim the truths of God's word before an audience. Before an audience, okay? You know, in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul said, follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather desire that you may prophesy. So what's he mean? Desire that you may proclaim the word of God to a lost and a dying world. You see, of all the gifts, this is the only one that Paul suggests that we should covet. Why? Because God's word is for believers and unbelievers alike. Everything in this book, all 66 books in this, between this cover is for believers and non-believers, and we are to proclaim it, we are to prophesy it, we are to preach it to a lost and a dying world. So to believers, it edifies and it exhorts. To unbelievers, it leads to conviction of sin. And I believe in this day and age, the most vital thing is to proclaim God's truth. And I believe that's why Paul said, covet prophecy. Covet to prophesy. Covet to share the the word of God. Now, prophecy today consists of basically one thing, and that is reiteration. Reiteration. Reiteration of what? Reiteration first of the written word of God. We need to reiterate it to a lost and a dying world. For the prophet, the word of God is just that it is the commandment straight from God, and what it says, it means. In other words, for a prophet, those who prophesy, there's no black and white here. I mean, it's all black and white here, there's no gray area. You know, and a prophet sometimes can come across pretty harsh because they believe what's in it. They're going to proclaim what's in it. There's no gray area. This is what the Bible says. This is what it means. This is what you got to do. And sometimes they can come across pretty harsh. So a prophet sometimes has to watch that. You know, many times they'll hurt feelings, uh, you know, by the way they express themselves. But for them, again, it's black and it's white. There's no gray area. But also it's a reiteration of the faith of that God has given. He says in Romans twelve six, Let us prophesy according to the proportion of our faith. This is a warning to those with this gift. It's the danger, it's warning of going beyond what God has given and faith receives. In other words, a prophet, those who prophesy, those who speak before, needs to stick with the Word of God. And Don't add to. Stick to the Word of God. Paul is saying if you're going to prophesy, be sure what you're prophesying agrees with the already written truths of God's Word. Don't add to. Don't take away. Proclaim God's written word as written. Prophecy is simply proclaiming the already written word of God. So let me close with this. The gift of prophecy, as with all gifts, it can be greatly misused, if not used in the spirit. And those with this gift must never compromise what you say. If you have the gift of prophecy, never compromise what you say. But be aware sometimes of how you speak it. This gift must be active within the church if the church is going to be a vibrant <coughs> church. So the gift of discernment, those God has placed within the church to be the watchdogs, to see through the phonies, to see you know, through those who may be infiltrating the church with dissension, with the, you know, division, and the gift of prophecy. Those who stand before an audience. You Sunday school teachers, y'all are prophets. You didn't know that, did you? According to this definition, you're a prophet. Because why? You're standing before an audience proclaiming the already written word of God. You see, sometimes we're afraid of that word prophet, you know, because, again, we think an Old Testament where they're predicting the future. That was the Old Testament. Today, you're proclaiming the word of God. And if you are, if you are before an audience proclaiming the word of God, proclaim the word of God. Stick with it. Don't add to. Don't take away. And let God's Holy Spirit do his work. Look, if you're here today, God is not, and you haven't accepted Jesus as your personal Savior, you don't have none of these spiritual gifts that we've looked at or going to look at. Because until you receive the greatest gift of all, and that is the gift of salvation, you can't have one of these. But if you'll receive this morning the gift of salvation that God has for you in Jesus Christ, upon receiving that gift of salvation, by asking Jesus to, in your own words, to, you know, I, I, I hate it when I hear preachers say, you've got to pray the prayer of salvation. What is that? You won't find the prayer of salvation in the Bible. The thief on the cross said, remember me when you enter your kingdom. That was his prayer of salvation. You know, Uh, so the prayer of salvation is simply you from your heart. Realizing you're a sinner and asking Jesus Christ in your own words to forgive you of your sin. Come into your heart and make him Lord of your life. That is your prayer of salvation. And once you do that, you're going to receive that greatest gift of all, what we celebrate Christmas for, Jesus Christ. And upon that, he's going to give you a gift or more gifts to be used within this church. And now you're responsible to put those gifts to use within Fairview Baptist Church. In order for this church to be able to be complete and do what God has placed it within this community to do. Let's pray.